0: Life-Giving Church. This is our little theme song that you're hearing in the background, and uh, it helps us anything you do, rating the podcast, sharing it, all that stuff helps the word get out. We're not trying to build the name of a church. We're trying to build the name of Jesus in our little local community, and if you found this, I hope it's useful to you. Thank you. Let's listen now. The book of Daniel in chapter one, the book of Daniel in chapter one. We started uh, a set of messages Last week, um, on this idea of uh, paper tigers, Uh, a paper tiger is uh, someone or something that looks strong, but upon close observation, it appeals, uh, you find out that it's weak. It looks like something with substance, but you find out that it's something that isn't. And we talked about people that seem like they're strong in faith. But when life comes in, when life gets tough and life gets challenging, when temptation comes their way, you're like, wait, I thought that person had faith. And you found out that they're a paper tiger. It's someone who looks like something, but isn't something. It's uh, what Paul was talking about in Second Timothy when he said that in the last days, there were going to be people who had the appearance of godliness, but denied its power. And we don't want to be those kind of people. I don't want to be that kind of person. We don't want to be the kind of person who is selling that there's something. We want to be the kind of person who is something. And so the message today is about how uh, to be that kind of person of strength in a world that is constantly pushing us to be something different than what God would want for us. I look around the room and I go through the lobby and I, I meet older folks who've been following God for a long time. And the world that they see is not the world that they grew up in and they don't know exactly what to make of it or how to live in it. I meet all kinds of people in the stage of life that Kristen and I are in trying to raise kids and figure out like what really matters and what doesn't and where should we put our foot down and where shouldn't we. And, and there's people here that are young people, teenagers that are in high school or close to high school living right in the world that exists right now. And we want to live not the way that it feels good to live. We want to live the way that God wants us to live. And that's what the message is about today from the book of Daniel. In chapter 1, I'm going to teach you the whole chapter. This may be a familiar story to you, but I think it's going to be helpful. Uh, I'm just going to start at the beginning, and by the time we get to the end, we'll be at the end. In the third year uh, of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Uh, Pause. Uh, So here's what's happening. Um, Israel was a great nation under King Saul, under King David, under King Solomon. But slowly but surely, their hearts moved away from the God that had got them to be a great nation towards false gods and idols And all through the Old Testament, you see God promising if you don't figure it out, if you don't get your act together, if you don't stop worshiping these false gods, if you don't, if you don't, eventually it's going to. And this is the moment right here where it happens where God allows his chosen people and their nation to be destroyed. This is 605 BC, is when this is 2,600 years ago. Because the people of. God didn't obey their king. This was a time, also notice that uh, when it says that this is the third year of Jehoiakim, but it's Nebuchadnezzar uh, history tells us that this is right at the time when this person who's famous here for a minute, Nebuchadnezzar, came in and became a new king. Now we understand from the lives that we live here in the 2020s that when power changes over, it causes uncertainty. Every few years, there's a new Congress. Every four years or eight years, there's a new president. Every so often, there's a new something. And we know that transition and new things produce like an uncertainty, right? Just imagine what it was like in ancient times when a king was king from when they became king until they died. We're talking 20, 30, 40 years in power. This is a moment of uncertainty, a moment of like anxiety almost. And uh, as I studied what was happening in Daniel chapter one, it reminded me of the world that we're living in now, where there's this sense that things are changing in a variety of ways, but it doesn't feel like they've changed all the way yet, and it feels like we're in this kind of in-between time. Let me go back to the text now in verse three. So then the king uh, commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance, skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Now, among these were Daniel Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah and of the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. So Daniel, he called Belshazzar, and Hananiah, he called Shadrach, and Mishael, he called Meshach, and Azariah, he called Abednego. So what's happening here is, okay, we've taken over this country. The Babylonians say, we've taken over this country. Here's what we're gonna do. Go get the best of their people. Get the young ones, get the, get the sharp ones, get the smart ones, get the capable ones. And what we're gonna do is we're gonna Take them from their country. We're going to bring them over here. And for three years, we're going to like, tell them. You can see there that list. Everything they need to know. We're going to teach them not how to be the people where they were. We're going to teach them how to be the people right here. So we're going to educate them. We're going to teach them the language. In fact, it's so important that we change them. We're going to give them new names. This is common when a country is trying to take over a country, not just militarily but also culturally. It's, they're going to undergo cultural assimilation, effectively. It's, this, it's like a process where... A minority group or culture has to assume the behaviors, values, rituals, and beliefs of their host nation's majority group. They said, we're not going to let these people who we're bringing in, we've conquered their country, and I trust me, this is going somewhere really important. We're not going to let these people just be how they were. We're going to make them how we are. So we're not going to let them have the names they had. They're going to have our names. We're not going to let them think how they thought. We're going to teach them new things. We're not going to let them eat what they used to eat. They're going to eat what we eat. We're going to turn them from being people from Israel into people who love Babylonia. You see here some notes on how culture in those verses, verses six and seven, how culture tries to shape a person. You can see how culture tries to shape a person by their name, by the food that they eat and what they, the way that they celebrate and when they celebrate. Culture tries to shape a person by culture and language and also cues from influential people. And you may feel like this is happening around you right now. The culture around us all the time is trying to subtly shift us, not from being people who love God, but being people who love the world as it exists out there. Anyone ever feel like that? The culture is subtly trying all the time to get you to call things what it wants you to call it and eat the way it tells you you should eat I saw this thing yesterday that they released a new food pyramid. Brian, I don't know if you saw this. They released a new food pyramid, and in the new food pyramid, it said that lucky charms are healthier than steak. I just see this, a friend of mine was real, she's here actually, was real angry about that on Instagram yesterday. I don't, I don't know, that's not a world that I want to live in. So that's not really a biblical point. I just, anyone with, I'm like, a, I'm more on the steak side than on the lucky charm side, anybody? Yeah, okay, thank you, Doug, thank you, yeah. That's a small, but do you feel what I'm talking about? The culture is trying all the time to shift us into its own image. But for Christians, you and me, many of us in the room are people who would say, I believe in Jesus, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. We actually deal with it on both sides. I would say to you that maybe in the 2020s, the most dangerous cultural assimilation comes not from the evil culture out there, but from already assimilated Christians trying to pressure us to lower our standard and values. You ever feel like that? Like, wait, I thought, I thought we were supposed to be the different ones. It's like uh, if I've had this conversation once, I've had it 100 times when I was a youth pastor with a young person who would leave a public high school and go to a Christian college thinking they were going to find different people at the Christian college than they found at the public high school. And almost inevitably, they'd show up back with, Pastor, you won't believe it. Over here, they're worse because they're like hiding it. Culture is trying to push us all the time. Uh, here's a couple of things I found this week: statistics that show this. 71%, uh, this is a new study recently came out that 71% of people who would say, I am a Bible-believing Christian, agree everyone is born innocent in the eyes of God. 71% of people out there in these rows and churches, everywhere said, I'm a Bible-believing Christian would say, oh, no, everyone is born innocent in the sight of God. Yet my Bible says, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Psalm 58.3, the wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray from birth, speaking lies. I, don't, I never saw one, but I would guess if you did that study from people who've worked in the nursery or the preschool at church, you'd find that they would actually be like, no, no, they are like bad right from the jump.'" Here's another one. uh, 56% of Bible-believing Christians agree that God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, Islam. Yet my Bible and yours says, John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So it's easy to use statistics to sort of like warp things whatever direction you want, and easy to try to use that to scare people. My point is this. We run the risk both of being tricked into being like the world out there and also into the shallow, weak version that so many Christians have found for their lives in here. Back to the text, Daniel chapter 1, verse 8. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Depending on how you look at it, Nebuchadnezzar had made abundant provision for his captives. Theirs was going to be a life of luxury, not deprivation. They were going to be given some of what the king was eating every day. was going to be put on their table. But they were doing this, Nebuchadnezzar was, for a very specific purpose. This food did not conform to the requirements of the Mosaic Law. It was telling Daniel, you need to eat different than the way your God wants you to eat. It was prepared by Gentiles, so it was unclean. Many things forbidden by the law were undoubtedly served on the table. To partake in this food would defile these Jewish youths. So that may be hard for us in our 2020 mind to like, kind of get all the way through, but this was an opportunity to eat beautiful food that was an opportunity to turn his back on what God wanted him to do. And it says that Daniel resolved that he wouldn't defile himself with the king's food or the wine he drank. That word resolve, the Hebrew word there, means to lay or to set down or to arrange, fix, stand, put, install, mount, establish, confirm. It means to, he was saying, I'm not going to move. Not like a, you know, you know the difference, like, And Maybe you've done this before. Sometimes people make New Year's resolutions that are so half-hearted, like you know that they don't even believe it. Like that's the one you don't even follow like the first two days or whatever, You know that one. This is different. Daniel said, no, I'm not gonna do that. 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 I'm just not gonna do it. I'm not gonna do it. Uh, Not like, that's not like an opening bargaining position. That's a, I will not. He had decided that he was not going to let, no matter what, he was not going to change. He was not going to do the wrong thing, no matter what. And I think a lot of us, we don't want to be this thing we talked about at the beginning. We don't want to be the people who appear strong, but actually are weak, right? I mean, just by the fact that you're at church, Maybe you know the song, maybe you do a little giving, or you volunteer in some way, or you're paying attention right now. We're, we're above the middle for sure, right? But we don't want to be those people, do we, that, that seem like something. I, want, I really want 2023 to be the real thing. And often it comes down to this decision, what am I going to do with the places in culture where I am pressured to live a different way then I know God wants me to live. What am I going to do with the places and culture where what I should do with the culture around me isn't totally clear? In our day and time, that has a lot to do with gender and sexuality and and politics and and work. and There's a lot of places where we have to decide, so how am I? Christians uh, take on a few different mentalities or ways of dealing with it. Some people decide, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to fight the system stick it to the man. Fight the system is uh, I'm not going to let the world tell me I can't live this way. I'm going to force the world to tell me this is the right thing. This is, uh, we're going to pick it. We're going to organize. We're going to get involved in the politics. Us Christians are better than all those people out there. We're going to fight. The reason why uh, this is a beautiful sentiment is it's willing to be strong and standing up for the truth. The reason why it often fails is people who get involved in the fight often are more excited about the fight than the holy living that has to back it up. And often the fight becomes more about being right than about actually trying to help or love the people that it claims to be about. So some people say, you know, you know, we're not gonna, um, I'm not gonna fight the system. That's not me. That's not my vibe. That's not the way I'm aiming. You know what I'm gonna do? I'm just gonna fit into the system. This is what many young people do, thinking that it's the best way forward. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna round off the edges. I'm just gonna kind of fit in. I'm just gonna go to those places, but try not to do as much of everything they're doing as they do there. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna try not to stick out. I'm just gonna agree with my mouth, even if I don't totally agree in my heart. I'm just gonna kind of try to, I don't know why I'm making that snake motion, but that's the way I think it feels for people. It's Just, I'm just gonna fit in. Some people are like, all right, well, I don't want to fight, and I can't fit exactly. Then the third option that some people do is they just say, I'm going to flee the system. I've known people like this in the last couple years that were like, I'm moving out. I'm getting out of the blue state. I'm buying a homestead. I'm going to churn my own butter, and I'm not going to talk to anybody who doesn't believe in Jesus. And those might be nice things. I'm not, you know, I don't know if there's anybody here from Crystal Lake or whatever. No, no offense, but I'm just saying, like, I right, no, okay, wait, see, I do. Some people, their way of dealing with what they see in the system is just to say, I'm going to leave it. And the problem with leaving the system is that leaves a whole lot of people that Jesus loves without any positive influence about who he is still in the system. And there are shreds of wisdom in each of these concepts. And I don't mean to say that it's always crystal clear which... I'm going to show you what Daniel does in a second... I don't mean to say that it's always crystal clear and you don't want to do that thing where it's all one or all the other, but these are many times the ways that people of faith think about what I'm going to do with the world. You may see yourself there. I want to suggest to you that there are this, I heard this phrase and I just love this phrase. I want to suggest to you that the way that God wants you and me from his word to live in the world that we're in right now is to be something called a non-anxious presence. What a non-anxious presence has is it has moral clarity. So start there. To live in the world that we live in today, you have to be crystal clear about what is right and wrong. So You have to have down deep in your gut a true sense of this is what the Bible says, this is what it doesn't say, this is how I'm going to live, this is how I'm not going to live. But alongside that moral clarity, it has a willingness to adapt to the people and situations and places that it finds itself and a courage to know when is the right and wrong time to stand up for the truth. So the word presence in this concept is the idea of still being there. God does not want us to leave the world that he has put us in. He's placed us here to be a bright light in your workplace, in your school, in your situation. There are places that you go in a week where there may be no Christians there. And there may be, you may be the only person who has the bright light of Jesus. So you have to be a presence. But often, people of faith, and I've been this person before, because we don't feel like we fit in the world, we don't always know how to be in places in the world without like, making it difficult for everybody else. And a non-anxious presence is able to be where God places us, but there to give not there with a bunch of uncertainty and like weird fuses all over us that we get constantly lit on fire. Uh, let me show you what, how Daniel plays this out. I know that was long, but we're getting back to the text now. So Daniel it says that he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. He goes to the person in charge. And it says that God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs, and the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord, the king. I'll tell you a second here where that rest of that goes. So Daniel decides that the way he's gonna handle this, I'm not gonna eat that food. I'm not gonna eat that food. I'm not gonna eat that food. Is he's not gonna just fit into the system by eating it. He's not just gonna flee the system by trying to like sort of turn himself into a martyr and just saying, all right, then fine, you're gonna have to kill me. He's not gonna fight by like trying to organize a rebellion. Where they're all staying, what he's going to do is he's going to approach the person and say, "Hey, the person in charge is, say, "Hey this isn't this doesn't really work for me. Uh, can I propose a different solution that maybe we can all get what we want out of this?" It's a beautiful example of a non-anxious presence. Notice in that paragraph there that it says that God gave Daniel favor. That when we live and obey God the way that we want to, we often find miraculous provision of favor we often find miraculous provision of favor so here's Daniel's proposition I'm in verse 12 now Daniel's proposition is this he says all right let's do it this way why don't you test your servants for 10 days so give us vegetables to eat and water to drink so he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days And at the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh, I don't know, I guess that was what they were aiming for, than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. Do you see it? So Daniel says, okay, so he asked for favor and compassion it's like, hey, can we try a different way? Can we try a different way? Can we try a different way? And the chief guy, the eunuchs, was like, all right, we can try a different way, but if this doesn't go good, the king is going to kill me, so we're only going to get a limited time. He says, all right, we're going to go on a 10-day diet. Brian, come here. You in the room? And uh, so like, okay, I, I don't, I don't know if you've ever gone on some kind of like modified eating schedule. Uh, There was someone who normally rolls in with like a big frappe that didn't have theirs this morning because of this fast and they were in a really bad mood. So, uh, but the thing that is challenging about trying to change what you eat is that it usually takes a lot longer for it to show any effect than you want it to. Can I get a witness anywhere in the room, right? So these were not like older middle-aged people trying to hang on. These says the text that they were young, vibrant people. So just imagine what a young athletic person like what him and I used to look like might look like. Now, if we were to just for a second be like, "All right, we're standing here with two normal guys and yeah. we're just standing here." So one of us is going to eat a normal diet for 10 days and one of us is going to eat only fruit and vegetables, vegetables and water for 10 days. Physically speaking, humanly speaking, would you be able to tell the difference between the two of us after that amount of time? I would say I would say no chance. Me, I'm going to say no chance, like so maybe the person eating only vegetables and water, like, drops a couple pounds, but like, they probably look roughly the same. But what it says here in my Bible, Brian, do you see this? It says that at the end of the 10 days, the guys who were eating only vegetables had gotten fattened up. Apparently, they had been skinny from the siege of their city. So the guys eating only vegetables had gotten fattened up, while the guys who were eating the king's food didn't look quite as good. And it was apparently obvious that these four looked better than everybody else in the place. So I was you, were, uh, you can be eating the vegetables, whatever you want. <laughs> Here's the point I'm trying to draw your attention to. That is not naturally occurring. Everybody, if you have the faith to say it, say miracle. miracle. That's a miracle. Yeah. That's a miracle. So what God did was God blessed their obedience by protecting their desire to continue to be obedient. So the steward was like, all right, I mean, I don't know. So you don't have to eat food and wine anymore. I guess you can just keep eating vegetables. Notice there that their reward was to continue to have to eat the not as good food. It wasn't like if this was a Disney movie, at the end of the 10 days, they would look so great that God would say, okay, now you can eat the good food because you've been so obedient. They decided, no, I'm not going to be like these people. I'm going to follow God. No, I'm not going to be like these people. I'm going to follow God. No, I'm not going to be like these people. I'm going to follow God. And their reward for that was to continue to eat this food. We only find out about four. Oh, hey, Kim, you're back. We only, we only find out about these four. But by the way, the text reads, there were certainly many other young men and women possibly that were brought from the nation of Israel during this time that just fit right in. But these are the ones that God uses. Look at the text again. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them. He found them, do you see it, ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. What do we see here? We see that when we do things God's way, God blesses us. When we do things God's way, God blesses us. When we do things God's way, God blesses us. And so many times in life, we're tempted to take the shortcut, thinking that the shortcut is going to be the way to get the thing that I want. How many times have I known a teenager? who was trying to follow God, but was thinking, well, all my friends are out having fun. Could it possibly be that I should be staying home and they're all out having foolish fun? Well, God is going to bless, says to me, God's going to bless your obedience. How many people feel like their marriage is at a dead end and they're tempted to step out and do something they know in their heart is wrong, but they say it's not fair, everybody else seems to be having a good time. What happened over here to me? Well, the answer is God always blesses people who choose to be obedient. It's easy to take the easy way. God blesses people who choose to be obedient. You may be in a job where you're doing sales and somebody else is cutting corners and then showing up with better numbers every month and it's so frustrating to you because you know that they're not doing things the right way. But this text is supposed to be saying to you that when I do things God's way, God blesses me. And further, that living in this world that I live in, I don't need to fight the world that God has placed me in and I don't need to fit the world that God has placed me in and I don't need to flee the world that God has placed me in. I can stay right here, obeying God, trusting him that even when I don't get things that I want, or even when it doesn't work out, he is going to bless my desire to obey him. This non-anxious presence produces a whole bunch of things. Uh, Notice there in that last verse that uh, it produces, Daniel had a long reign of blessings. A non-anxious presence produces, first, you see it there, uncommon insight. Because of the obedience and the willingness to be holy like God commanded them to be, these four young men, it's said, that they had learning and skill, and they had understanding, and that they were better in every way than the people around them. What if the thing that's going to unlock your business, your relationships, your family, whatever the problem is that's on your mind, is on the other side of obeying God with more holy fervor than you ever have before. Is he strong enough to give you exactly the insight that you need to do what he wants you to do? Is he wise enough that if you say, you know what, the Bible says six days of work and one day of rest, and right now my job is saying it's going to take seven and a half days of work. Is God strong enough to allow you to get enough done in the time allotted to bless you? Is God enough to protect your children and give them great friends, even if you don't want to put the whole world in their hands on that crazy cell phone? Who knows where it's going? Is God what I, The point is, is God able to work through your obedience, even when it feels like your obedience is causing problems? I have faith to believe the answer is yes. Uh, Non-anxious presence also produces, I see it here, it does, it produces short-term success sometimes. That the king was like, every time I call those guys, they're ten times better than the other guys. Every time I call those guys, they're ten times better than the other guys. Every time I call those guys, is that because they were uniquely, magically smarter than the other people that the king had around him in his kingdom? No, it's because God was blessing them with insight. When it says there that Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus, depending on which chronology you look at, Daniel served close to pagan kings for approximately 66 years. And God protected him and blessed him his whole life. This is the beginning of Daniel's life. By the time he was in the lion's den, he was an old man. And I want for us, and this year we're almost done now, in this year that's ahead, If we are going to be people of strength that live in the complicated world that God has placed us in, some of us need to make some resolved like Daniel did kind of decisions to just say, I'm not going to go to that place. I'm not going to do that thing. Maybe some of most of the sales get done late at night at the bar when they're drinking, but that's not a place that I can be without disobeying God. So I'm not going to go there. These types of decisions. Not knowing how God is going to come through, but knowing how God is going to come through. This non-anxious presence concept, I'm sure we'll talk about it more, is really powerful to me. It's a way of being in the world, knowing who God has made you to be in a way that draws people's attention. Uh, I saw a beautiful, beautiful example of this recently. I don't know if you were uh, following this, but a couple of weeks ago, there was this, uh, during the Monday night football game, there was this player that got hit on the field, and then all of a sudden, uh, he was like, had some kind of a cardiac arrest, and they were doing CPR on the field. Who has at least some awareness of this story that I'm talking about? Yeah, it was a huge story. uh, See, you should have been reading your Bible instead of watching football, and that's why that happened is the point. (laughs) It was a trap, Patrick. You fell right into it. it. This doesn't happen very often. Yeah, you saw it later, right, after you were reading the Bible. This doesn't happen very often, but it was like uh, it seemed like the whole world was paying attention to one thing. And it's amazing how, when it's life or death, all of a sudden, the God who isn't welcome in the public square is welcomed in. And uh, there's this one guy on ESPN. I don't know if you saw this or not. His name's Dan Orlovsky. This is him. Uh, And right there on ESPN, you can find this video, it's all over. He stops and he prays that this guy who had the cardiac arrest, that God would save his life, that God would protect him. And he prays, in your name, amen. And the other people on the show, let him pray and nothing else happens. And you think, what's going to happen on a normal day if this kind of thing happens? No way, no way, no way, right? And it's a perfect example. You could see, if you watch the video, it's funny, this NFL quarterback kind of stud, handsome guy, you can see how nervous he is, right? You can see that like, oh, man, I'm feeling like I'm supposed to do something here kind of moment. But in that little thing, it brings an awareness of the God of the universe to a whole bunch of people that weren't paying attention to him. And it wasn't everything. He didn't, like, draw out the part about Jesus dying on the cross and the resurrection coming. But I wonder how often, you can take the picture down, I wonder how often we have those little opportunities. And because we have a reputation as someone who wants to fight or someone who has lived the life of someone who's fleed or someone who's lost any ability to be salt and light because we've so fit in that we miss the opportunity to be this person in the school, business, family relationships that God has placed in front of us. And so if I just try to bring it all the way down now to the end, it's this. Living a holy life as God has called us to, which means living in a way different, not just than the people in the world, but in a way different than most Christian people, it's not a popular thing you're going to rub up against it because there's some things that most people will watch that we shouldn't put our eyes on. And there's some things that people will listen to or participate in or laugh at. I feel very convicted myself about some of these things, but God is counting on you and me. He is relying on you and me to be holy as he is. Holy. And so just like for Daniel and his friends, they had this opportunity to eat the food that was actually not the food that they should be eating because it was going to turn their back on God. We have opportunities all the time to kind of turn down the edges or to, so I'm not preaching to you legalism, like we should keep creating lists and lists and lists of rules upon all these things. You have to decide with your Bible open what works for you and what is righteous and holy in God's eyes. You answer not to me. You answer not to anybody here or anybody anywhere. You answer to the God of the universe, which should be nervousness enough. But so often we don't have the opportunity to stand up or to lean in because we've missed that opportunity. And so we're here. We believe in Jesus. We believe in historical Christianity, even the parts of it that aren't popular. And our primary role in this community and in this city and in this area is to serve and to watch for where the Holy Spirit is at work to try to speak. And so that might mean there's some changes that we need to make to our behavior. There might be some things that we may need to resolve, not because like, if I just try harder, try harder, try harder, God promises to bless me. No, but because time is short. We talked about this last week, the day is at hand. And what we said last week about this year, and I'm going to say it a lot, is if not when, if not now, when, next year, the year after that, the year after that, and if not us, who? Who are there going to be the people in this community that stand up and say, no, I'm not going to live the way the world lives. I don't need to live the way the world lives i'm gonna live exactly the way that god wants me to live in his standard in his ways even when it makes me feel unpopular even when it's weird even when the coach is mad because i say no my kid can't miss church this sunday morning they need to come to church this sunday morning even when the the boss says i don't understand why you won't go to this place with us you say no this passage you could study it over and over it gives us tons of tools you can stand up to authority in a healthy way and say no i'm not going to do it that way can you help me can i do it this way pray by faith that God gives us the strength to live in this way. We place him at the center. We see what else amazing things he wants to do. Why don't you stand your feet? I want to pray quick and then we're going to sing a little bit. God, I want to pray that you would open our hearts to what you want to change in us, that you would open our minds to what you want to challenge in us, that you would strengthen our shoes for the walk that you want us to take. We lean not on our own understanding, but we open our hearts and our hands to you to say, Lord, we resolve again to live for you, to trust in you, to believe in you. Help us, Lord. You are the center. Be the center. In Jesus' name. Come on, let's sing together. This has been the Good News Neighborhood podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed the song. I hope it's been helpful to you. We'll see you again soon. This is good news.